Father, we love you and we're grateful uh, that Jesus is Lord of all. Thank you that nothing changes that ever, ever. Father, I pray that you cause our hearts to believe that, thoroughly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And Lord, I ask that in these moments you would show your power by giving us eyes to see what we should learn from the Bible, giving us hearts to believe and, and put it into practice in our lives. We can't do that unless you, you give us grace, Lord. So we, we're trusting in you. And Father, we know we're not the only people gathered in a room today to learn about Jesus, to, to share the gospel of Jesus to one another. And so, Lord, I pray for all of the gospel-believing and teaching churches of this community. May they increase, Lord. May they increase, May their influence grow. God, we know that if we ran three, four, five times the number of people in attendance on a Sunday morning, we still haven't scratched the surface of the lostness of 600,000 people in Brevard County, most of whom are, are lost in their lives. So Lord, may the churches of Jesus do well and be empowered by the Spirit. Lord, I pray for Perry Salter that you would give him grace to teach with the power of God, the Word of God, to the people of God, and may they all go out into this community on the mission of God, which is to make Jesus known as Lord. Lord, we pray that for them. We pray that for ourselves, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, amen. If you would, take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible there in the seat back in front of you. Um, If you don't have a Bible at all um, in this place or any other place, take that Bible with you. Uh, That's our gift to you. We want everybody to leave with a copy of God's word for themselves. Um, There are two questions that I want to ask you this morning, and I I trust will be answered from this passage of Scripture. But this is how I began to think through this text as I was meditating and studying it over the last couple of weeks. These two questions, and and I'd ask you, don't answer them out loud because I don't want the people around you to be able to cheat. Um, Here are the two questions. What does God expect from you? Don't answer it out loud. What does God expect from you? From your life, what does God expect from you? What does he, maybe you could even say it this way, what does God desire from you? Um, and here's, here's the second question. What on earth makes you think you can do it? Okay? What on earth makes you think you can do what God expects you to do? All right, the answer to those questions tells me a lot about what you believe concerning the gospel, concerning Christianity. So let's, let's just think through those two questions, and we're going to look at a text that has two verses that I believe both verses answer those two questions for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of God for us this morning. And we're, gonna, we're just going to take these two verses and we're going to ask those two questions. And the first one is this. What does God expect from you? What does God desire from your life? Well, look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence... 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think this gives us a great starting point on that question. What does God expect for my life? And here's the deal. There's a really tricky phrase that should step out, that should stand out to you in that passage. And it's the phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that's a tricky one. A lot of people get wrapped up about it. There are people in Christianity, I'm actually related uh, to some of them who believe that that quote is a proof that we have to do the work of our salvation or we won't be saved. Hold on, don't get ahead of me. Uh, You're right though, no. That is not what it's saying here. This is not teaching us that you have to do the work to earn your salvation or work real hard to keep yourself saved or you got no shot. And here's why I say that. It would be the total contradiction of what the rest of the Bible teaches about salvation. Let me give you a couple of passages of scripture. Um, But before I do, I just want you to know, when we talk about being saved, I know that's kind of a churchy word. Some of you may not be familiar with it. The Bible talks about us being rescued by Jesus Christ, us being saved by Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about being saved in at least three different aspects to that salvation. We're rescued by Jesus in at least three different ways, in at least three different aspects. Let me help you just kind of think through those three different categories. You can think of them as past, present, and future. Okay, Jesus rescues us, and his rescuing us takes place in past, in present, and in future terms. Another way that you can think of it, and I'll get back to that in just a second, is you can think of it in terms of power. Jesus rescues us from the power of sin. Jesus rescues us from the penalty of sin. And one day... And this is what we're waiting on and and all of God's people should rejoice. One day, Jesus will rescue us from the presence of sin. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Hold on, hold on. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Here's the deal. One day I won't even be tempted. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more weird hip getting out of bed issue. How old am I that my hip works out of bed? No more of that. Okay, you know, you should be me for a second. Here's the story. Jesus has given to us, he provides for us a rescue, a salvation from the past penalty of our sin. He forgives us. This is a term that the Bible uses and it's called justification. It's the declaration of God as a judge over you that says you're not guilty. I know you did that, but Jesus paid for the penalty of your sin. You no longer carry the guilt of your sin. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus rescues us from the past penalty of our sin, justification. The Bible also says that Jesus provides for us salvation or rescue from the present power of sin. So all of those temptations you have to do stuff you shouldn't do, Jesus gives power to overcome that temptation. That's salvation from the present power of sin. It's what the Bible calls sanctification, becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus as we live on this earth. There's another way that Jesus provides salvation. It's from the future presence of sin. One day we won't be even surrounded with a hint of sin at all. We'll become the kind of people who do what's right because it's right, because we want to, because there's no more sin in us. That's going to be really, really cool. Really cool. 
You're not there yet, so it's okay. Here's the deal, though. So that's what the Bible, when I say saved, when I talk about salvation, when the Bible mentions salvation, you need to know, that's what the Bible's talking about. Past penalty, present power, future presence. You guys got that? Here's what you need to know. The Bible teaches that in every single aspect, our rescue, our salvation is a gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ. It's not something that we make happen through our own effort, working really hard, rolling up our sleeves. In every single regard, our salvation is a gift of God's grace. And some of you are saying, prove it. I'm so glad you pressed me on that. Let me give you some passages of scripture, okay? You can write these down. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Oh man, if you, if you doubted I was telling you the truth, I'm getting ready to bust you big time. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at, well, you don't have to look at it, I'll just read it, but you can if you want. It's just a couple pages over. It says this, for by grace, grace is the free gift of God, not earned by us, not deserved by us, not because we did anything to get it at all. Anything at all to get it. By grace, you've been saved through faith. That's the belief dependence that what Jesus says and does is what Jesus says and does. Faith. It is by grace through faith that you are saved, and it's not your own doing. Whose doing? Is it your doing? No, it's not your own doing. Listen, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. He's making us. We're not making ourselves. He's making us like Jesus. We're not making ourselves. We are his workmanship. Now listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, oh, there it goes. I gotta do the good works. I got these good works I gotta do. Well, listen to the rest of it. Don't interrupt me. (laughs) Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen to this. Which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. What? It's all by grace. You are saved from the penalty of sin by the gracious work of God through the things that Jesus has done, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection. You're forgiven of your sin by the the gift of grace through Jesus Christ and your good works. Being a good Christian, whatever you guys think that means, you may not be right, you may be right. Here's the deal. Even that happens by the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Let me just give you another one. Titus 3, 5. You know it's going to be good. (laughs) If you haven't read Titus, highly recommend it. By the way, if you're new around here, my name's Titus. Not Tyler or Titleist or Trevor or Travis. No one can get it right. Or Fayez. How do you think I look like Fayez? <laughs> Titus 3.5. He saved us. Good news. He saved us. Now listen. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not some good thing we've ever, ever, ever done or ever, ever will do. But according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Who saves us? He saves us. By works we do? No, not by works we do. By mercy and grace through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good word, right? You guys are already in Philippians 2. 
So you guys can look at this verse, Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He begins it. Who finishes it? Who finishes the work of salvation? Who begins it? Who begins it? He does. Who finishes it? Whoa. This is some pretty cool bookends, right? By grace, God finishes the work that he begins in us. So here's the clear teaching of the Bible. Let's just get this straight. Our being saved from sin, past penalty, our forgiveness, present power, our sanctification, living more like Jesus, glorification, us one day being like Christ in character. All of it, all of it, all of it is provided by the grace of God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit. That's good news. All of it. All of it. So here's the deal. If working our salvation out doesn't mean we work hard to get it or keep it, then what in the world does it mean, right? Well, I don't know. Let's go home and pray. No, I'm kidding. Here's the deal. It's a call to live out what Jesus has provided in our salvation, so, so when you work out, you may say it this way, but you don't do it this way. Some of, you, some of you think, I work out to get muscles. You don't work out to get muscles. You work out the muscles that you already have. You work out to demonstrate the power of guns like that, right? I have bigger knots in my shoestring this morning than I just showed you. I cannot believe I did that. I should, tr- I should practice these before I do them. Here's the story, namely working out what we've already been given in our salvation. It's living out, think of it this way, it's living out the fact. So live out the fact that Jesus has provided a rescue from the power of sin. It's another way of saying this way, live out the power Jesus gives you to say no to sin by saying yes to Jesus. Live that out in your life. Let that work itself out in your life. Live like it's true that you have the power to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. You know what we call that? Obedience. Call that obedience. Sin is disobedience to God. When you sin, you're disobeying God. Obedience is doing what God says. And listen, since Jesus saves us from the power of sin, our salvation includes the ability to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. That's another way of saying work out the power to obey. By doing what? Obeying! (laughs) Doing what Jesus says. We don't have to sin anymore. You're not a slave. You're a free child of Almighty God. You don't have to sin anymore. And what Paul's saying here when he says work out your own salvation is let the power of Jesus that saves you from the power of sin work itself out in your life. In other words, obey Jesus. Uh, and so how does, how does God expect your life to obey Jesus? Well, well, look at this. It's not just partial obedience. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, now look at this phrase. As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation. The the biggest form of obedience here is obeying, and it's not just obeying when Paul is around, right? Right? Not only when I'm present, but much more when I'm absent. When I'm present, when I'm absent. Now listen, I am not a smart man, Jenny, but I know that pretty much covers it, right? He says this, hey, here guys, how about this? 
obey when I'm around. Okay? So there's, a, there's an amount of time that Paul is around. You get that? And then there's an amount of time that Paul isn't around. Obey then too, okay? When I'm around, when I'm not around. What does that leave? Nothing. That's it. That's another way of saying, obey me all the time. Yes. Obey Jesus all the time. Listen, I know in, in, in newfangled Christianity, we have this desire to be trendy and tricky. Everybody's got, we got to boil it down to some catchphrase that we can print on a wristband and sell for $3 a pop to fund the student's trip to another kind. We got to have all this rhyming stuff. I've got this time-tested, God-honored, approved way that will change almost every single life and marriage in this room. Okay, here's, here's, here's what you do, all right? Okay, it doesn't rhyme, so I hope you can remember it. Obey Jesus all the time. And the natives got restless. The expectation of God over our life is is simple obedience to Jesus. When people are watching, when people aren't watching, obey Jesus. In all things, for all things, at all time, obey Jesus. And I will say this, church, please beware of a version of Christianity that minimizes obedience. That acts like it doesn't matter. That calls it grace. It doesn't matter how you live. It matters how you live. It doesn't matter how you, how you talk, how you think, how you interact. Yes, it matters. God has called us to something greater, namely holiness that reflects his character. Getting a little ahead of my, myself on this. The expectation of God is total obedience to Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why fear and trembling is there, okay? Remember what just happened. Paul just said there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will actually come back to this earth. And when Jesus comes back to this earth, every single man, woman, child, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and they will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the deal. If your life doesn't mesh with that reality, something's wrong. So it should cause fear and trembling that on that day, when I bow before Jesus as Lord, did my life display that I believed and lived like I believed that Jesus was Lord? Namely, did I obey Jesus? Right? In all things, total obedience. Now here's the deal. I intentionally wanted to go through that section in a way that you would feel the weight of it pressing down on your shoulders. If you didn't think about total obedience to God and it made this weight press down on your shoulders, then you didn't didn't get what I was saying there. Obey Jesus all the time, thought, word, and deed. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. Which neighbors? The good ones, right? The easy ones to love. No, well, all your neighbors, right? What about your homosexual neighbors? What about, the, what about the neighbors that voted differently than you in the election? All of them, right? Are you loving them like yourself? Are you loving them like yourself? Are you serving them like you would want to be served? Are you caring for them? The neighbors that are like you, the neighbors that are not like you, the ones that are hard to get along with, the guy that borrows all your tools and breaks them and never brings them back, that guy... Oh, sorry, babe. (laughs) So what does God expect? Total obedience. That should overwhelm us, guys. It really should. Because if you've ever attempted that, here's what you know. It's like trying to run with your shoestrings tied together and not on the same shoe. You know that that one deal? You trip quickly all the time. So what on earth? That's why I got this next question. What on earth makes you think you can do that? The Holy Spirit convicts us. There you go. There's some good answers coming back. How about we look at the Bible? Let's see what it has to say. Verse 13. 
I love this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, hold on, listen to this. That first word, what's the first word of verse 13? For. That little word for is big in meaning. It's a word that brings two things together. It just doesn't join two things. It shows the cause of something. It's like saying because or here's the reason why. Let me just give you this illustration. Last year, I chopped down a tree in my front yard, okay? I chopped down just because I wanted to because it's my right as an American and I am a man. So I chopped down a tree in my front yard. My kids were gone with Emily and when they came back there's a tree laying down in our front yard and since my kids are smart and related to me they had some really insightful question like what happened uh, so I, here's what I said to them okay something like this I may have paraphrased just notice the way that I use the word for okay here's what I said this kids this tree is lying on the ground for I cut it down A- and Kids, I was able to cut a tree down for I own my own chainsaw. And kids, I own my own chainsaw for I am a real man. And don't you forget. You guys see that? See how I used the word for there? You still with me at all? I don't even know. Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching over radio. It's just not a big deal. Here's the deal. I own this chainsaw cause I'm a real man. And cause I own a chainsaw, I got to chop a tree down. And cause I chopped a tree down, it's laying in my front yard. It's the word that's saying, because here's the reason why that happened. And that is the exact word that the Holy Spirit led Paul to use in this verse. Work out your salvation. Totally obey Jesus. Show how Jesus enables you to live without obeying sin in the power of righteousness. Those sins that trip you up all the time, you don't have to do them. Show that by the way you live. For because here's the reason why. Look again at verse 13 with that understanding. It's God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The basis, the foundation, the answer. What makes you think you can do that is that the working out of my salvation, the salvation and rescue from sin's power is God himself is the one who is working in me by the spirit of Jesus Christ. And just notice how extensive the work of God and his people is. Paul says, it's God who works in you. Notice this next phrase, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By his grace, he is at work to will. To will, think about that. God is at work to will you. That's a word for desire. To give you the want to to do what's right. Here's a not-so-secret confession. Um, I am a big ice cream fan. Like, I got, some, I got some bear claw waiting for me at home in the freezer. That's all I'm saying. And here's the question that I would see. Do you, do you want to know why I have eaten every bowl of delicious ice cream that I have ever eaten? Do you want to know why I've eaten every bowl of glorious ice cream that I've ever eaten? Do you want to know why I've done that? Because I wanted to. Because I wanted to. You want to know why you've done everything you've chosen? And I know there have been things that have been forced against your will, and I'm not saying that. I'm not bringing guilt on those things. I'm saying, do you know why you've done everything you've ever chosen, willfully done? Because you wanted to. The will is the seat of decision. 
It's the place where our choices are made. And verse 13 says that it is God who graciously gives you the desire to obey him. So here's the deal. If you want to obey God, God's doing that work in your heart. If you... Even to this extent, if you want to want to obey God, God's at work in you. That should cause you to rejoice. Some of you say, I don't know about this whole obedience thing. I want to, but I don't. Don't get to that yet. Get to this. If you want to obey God, God's working that in you. That means God's working in you. That's a good thing. It's a glorious, it's a miraculous thing, but it doesn't stop with a want to. Look at verse 13. It says, God is at work in you both to will and to what? To work. That word work is found twice in verse 13. It's the word energeo, the Greek word energeo. We have, a, we have an English word that comes from that. E-N-E-R-G-E-O, energeo. Can you guys guess the English word? Energy. Energy. The word literally means to put someone else's capabilities their power, their energy into action. God's energy, his ability and power are working to make your desire and your work, your, your capability, your power possible. Uh, instead of thinking about the areas where you sin the most, okay? Let's just lay that aside for a moment. How about we, make a, how about we do a little pretend here? You guys feel like you can pretend? Is it too late, too close to lunch? You haven't had, okay, I'll pretend for all of us. Pretend that the command isn't about the areas where you guys struggle the most. That's the one that's gonna come to the front of your mind. Put that on the side for a second. What if the command was this? God was commanding you to play basketball, okay? God's commanding you. Now, some of you might feel okay about that. Uh, some of you play college basketball. Here's the deal. You may feel pretty good about the command to play basketball, but I haven't played basketball regularly for like 20 years, Okay, I've tried a couple of times. The last time I tried to play basketball living in Merritt Island was about five years ago at a three-on-three tournament that we hosted as a church. Literally, my children had never seen me play basketball, so they came out. They'd heard that I used to be kind of okay at basketball, so they came out. My little girls were, were bringing their pom-poms out to the three-on-three tournament. Literally, whistle blows, it starts, I do that, and immediately, four seconds in, I pull a muscle in my calf. <laughs> So it was, it was my little girls, me, this, and ah, like that. So that's my experience. Do you remember the moment when you realized that your parents weren't what you thought they were? They were human too. We can actually trace to our children the moment that dad was no longer a superhero. Oh, he's very human, kids. He's very, very human. So that's how I take the command to go play basketball. You got to do it all the time. Imagine you're commanded to play basketball and, and, and just imagine, no matter how good you are now, that you were as bad at basketball as you are at resisting the weakest area of obedience in your life. So you guys know the sins that trip you up. Some of you are your chronic gossips. Uh, you may not want to be on Facebook, just by the way, that's a, a helpful tip. Uh, some of you are, are angry for no reason or for a reason, but you're, you're still, you're, you're angry. Some of you struggle with lust. Some of you battle all kinds of different things that are your place where it's like, man, if I could just get that thing over and done, I'd be okay. Well, pretend that you were as bad at basketball as you are at resisting sin and doing what's right in that area, okay? So you hear the command, God says, oh, all I'm asking of you is go play basketball all the time and win. And you're like, oh no, that's not good for me. Well, imagine that he said it this way. Go, my son or daughter, and play basketball all the time. 
When people are watching, play basketball. When no one is around, play basketball. Play basketball for the cause. I've given you the power and the energy and the capability of LeBron James to be at work in you. What would you do? Well, it depends on whether you believe him or not, right? If you don't believe him, I know what you're going to do. You're going to finish off that bag of Lay's, wash it down with some Mountain Dew, and go hit some Bear Claw ice cream later on tonight. I know what you're going to do. But if you believed him, that the power and energy and ability of LeBron James was at work in you, what would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. I'd get my hands on the nearest basketball. I'd call up the kid from fourth grade who made me feel stupid because I was chubby and unathletic, and I would dunk so hard on his head he would not know what hit him. And it's not that I'm bitter. I'm not bitter about it. It just hurt. It just hurt. You know what kids can do with a name like Titus? It's terrible. It's felonious. Bus rides were hard. Anyhow, and then my aunt bought me a Pillsbury Doughboy backpack. Who does that? Who does that to the chubby kid? Man, where are we going? Okay, so here's the story. Hold on, like, like, I had notes in here somewhere. Here's the reality. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have something infinitely bigger and better than the power of LeBron James, than the ability of LeBron James to play basketball. Do you know what you have in you? You have almighty God and his capability. God is at work in you, verse 13. The God who created the heavens and the earth and all that exists, the God of all glory and all grace and all mercy and perfect patience and steadfast love is at work in you. The very power that raised Jesus Christ literally from the dead is at already at work in you. That's what God gives you when he gives you Jesus. He gives you himself. That power. Now here's the question. How able is God to resist sin? Totally able, right? How able is God to do what's right? Like totally able, right? What proof do we have? Well, his name is Jesus. He lived on this earth, totally resisted sin, totally always did what's right. And the gospel is Jesus Christ is living in his people, working through them, energizing the desires of their heart to do what's right, empowering the ability and will of their life to make it actually happen. Earlier I told you, do, do not believe a version of Christianity that minimizes obedience. Well, listen, you also need to beware of a version of Christianity that minimizes the gracious work of God that enables our obedience. Obedience is impossible without Jesus. You can't do it at all without Jesus. It may look like obedience. It's called self-righteousness. Dependence on Jesus is the difference between Christianity and legalism. I need to clear this up because I hear a lot of people throwing around legalism these days. Some people act like the difference between Christianity and legalism is that Jesus doesn't expect us to live any certain way. So when you say, hey, no, Jesus tells us not to do that, they're like, hey, quit being so legalistic about it. Like Jesus doesn't care if you're honest or modest or not sexually pure or not hardworking or or whatever the case may be. He doesn't care about that. It's called grace. No, 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 no. The difference between legalism and Christianity is that legalism attempts 
to live out the expectations of God without the power of Jesus doing it. We have lowered, you guys realize what we've done in Christianity? We've lowered the bar of holiness so low that it'll be just low enough for us to jump over in our own power. That's why we're okay with people being grumpy. (laughs) You get that? That's why why it's okay for people to show up week after week after week after week after week after week after year after year after year year in a church environment and be grumpy. Because we don't expect them to to actually live out joy. (laughs) Did you see that? (laughs) 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 Nothing could could make you happier than me and my joy. I didn't say he could make you dance. I said he could make you have joy. We've lowered the bar of holiness just low enough that we can do it in our own power. You're attempting a Christianity you can actually attempt and try. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that you need the power that would take a dead man and make him alive to work in you if you're going to actually do what God's called you to do. That's the gospel. And so the gospel teaches us something. This is, this is all gospel, guys. The gospel teaches us that total obedience to Jesus is absolutely possible through total dependence on Jesus. He's calling you to depend on him. Some of you would say, if this is true, then why do so many people still struggle with sin, right? Namely, why do I struggle with sin? Can I give you really quickly? Are you guys still with me? Can I give you really quickly, really quickly? I know you want to get to lunch. I know as soon as I say, let's pray, half of you are going to leave. Uh, Here's the story. Let me give you just a quick, I'm not even going to develop these thoughts, reasons why many of us struggle with sin. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to write these down. If you want, here's what I'll do. Next, tomorrow I'll have this, all of my notes on the website so you guys can look this up so if you don't write it down. Here, here's several reasons I feel like God was giving me this week as to why we struggle with sin. First of all, most of us were not taught this version of Christianity. Most of us were taught that Jesus is a really good place to start. Now get to work. Straighten up. Get it right. Don't do that. Not taught how to depend desperately on Jesus. So most of us weren't taught this version of Christianity. So we still struggle with sin because we're not tapping into the power of Christ to defeat sin. Number two, because there are still patterns in our flesh, our way of thinking and living that oppose what God has called us to live into. Our flesh, the part of us that is waiting to be glorified, that still has to be changed. It's fighting against the work of the Spirit. There's a battle going on in us. The battle of the flesh and the spirit. And what you're sensing is a battle in your body, in your mind, in your life, where your flesh that's waiting to be made whole and new that will come at the resurrection on the last day, that part is fighting against the work of the spirit. Most of us weren't taught this, and all of us have sin patterns that are still in our minds and in our bodies that we're fighting against daily, calling us away from this. Number three, we don't really believe God A lot of us just don't believe it. It's a faith issue. Our obedience issue is largely a belief issue. So since we don't really believe God, we really don't obey him, even in the most simple ways like coming to him in his word through prayer. We don't do it because we don't really believe that it's going to do anything. 
We're not taking God at his word and our obedience is really a belief, a faith issue. Number four, because we have an enemy that is strategically attempting us to follow those patterns of the flesh. I waited to number four to bring up the devil because I don't want everybody going, the devil made me do it. But we do have an enemy that is opposing the work of God in our lives. Strategically, it says, designing ways to trip you up from this. That's why you have to preach this gospel to yourself every day so that you can have eyes to see the ways the enemy's calling you away from it. Number five, we live in a world that is systematically opposed to God's way of doing things. Our whole world is systematically, strategically designed to oppose God's way of doing things. And I mean all of it. And we live in that world, which means this. If you're going to live this way, you will have a life that diametrically goes against the grain of your world. You will be swimming against the stream of culture. And number six, and I believe this is one that we never hardly ever talk about. God has strategically designed our obedience so that it can only genuinely really occur, not in a legalistic, pharisaical way, but genuinely occur in hearts that are depending on his grace through Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. Do you hear that? God has strategically designed the way we obey so that it only genuinely can occur in hearts that deeply depend on his grace through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what this means. Let me just, let me say it this way and then we'll be done, okay? So have you ever taught a child how to ride a bike? You ever taught a child how to ride a bike? Here's how I used to, here's how all kids, all my kids have learned how to ride their bike. Okay, the hardest day physically that you'll ever spend as a human being is teach your kid how to ride a bike. Here's what you do. You have to run behind your kid like this. You see what I'm saying? I'm doing this. I'm holding onto their seat. You guys see that? I think I just pulled a hamstring. No, I'm kidding. So here's what, here's what I did. My kids were afraid. They didn't know they could do it. So here's what I did the whole time. I'd run behind them. I'd be like, you can do it. You can do it. And I'd be yelling at them. You can do it. You can do it. Right that? I'd do that the whole time. You can do it. And then they'd be like, am I doing it? And I'm like, yeah, you're doing it. So I'm lying to my kids. That's the, I guess that's the way. No, here's what I did is I'd barely hold on to their seat. Just barely hold on to their seat. Give them a little, bit of the, a little bit of the boost. And I would start, you're doing it. You're doing it. And they would build confidence that they could do it, Right. They build confidence. I can do this. I can really do this thing. And all the while I'm holding on to their seat, I really hardly ever even let go at all until they were confident enough to be able to do it themselves. You guys get that? You guys see that? Say, I'm go, go, go. I'm running behind. You can do this. You can do this. They're saying, oh, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Here's what I want you to know. That's the exact opposite of the way God has designed your salvation. Okay. He will not run behind you and yell to you, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. He'll let you drive into the bushes over and over and over and over and over again until you get to the place where you're crying out, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. He will thoroughly convince you you can't. You know why? Because it's the only place that you'll ever be where you'll wake up in the morning and say, God, I need you. If you don't do this, it will not get done in me. So all of you are driving into the bushes. That's the Holy Spirit saying, no, I'm not going to let you do it without me, child. I am not going to let you do it without me, child. You know why? Because you can't do it without me. The worst possible thing God would ever do in your life is convince you or allow you to stay convinced that you can live the Christian life without the power of Jesus every day of your life. So you will be resisting God. And he's graciously allowing you to stumble until you get the point of I can't 
So I need Jesus. And that's where a lot of you find yourselves today. You feel the bar of obedience being raised in your life and you automatically start to feel, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Beware of the trap where you start planning ways that you're going to do it that don't absolutely 100% depend on Jesus. All right? So here are the two questions then we started with is what are God's expectations for your life? Total obedience through, now this is so important, through total dependence on Jesus. So it's really faith. And that's why James can say, faith without works is dead because authentic faith in Jesus always produces the results of righteousness in our lives, okay? So those are the two questions. Here are the last two that we'll end on. What area of your life of obedience is God pointing out this morning? Some of you feel that. I just would go down, I could go through the list and you would know immediately I'm, I'm really struggling to obey God there. I, I don't, I'm not obeying God there. I'm not consistently obeying God there. Here's the deal. How are you gonna call on Jesus today? How are you gonna call on Jesus today out of total dependence? What part of your heart, and I hope it's all of it, says, Jesus, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, the greatest prayer I've ever prayed is, Jesus, if you don't save me, I won't be saved. If you don't do this, it won't be done. If you don't make me pure, all of the accountability and internet filters in my life won't do the thing. If you don't save me, I won't be saved. So call on Jesus. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? And I'm gonna ask you, just you and God, what are the areas of obedience that God is bringing to light in your, in your mind right now? Those areas that he's calling you, I mean this, obey me, be pure, be honest. Be forgiving. Be modest. Be faithful. Be kind. All those areas in your life. Will you acknowledge in this moment you cannot do it without Jesus? And just there between you and God, will you, will you call on Jesus to save you? Some of you may be calling on Christ. You realize this is the first time you've actually done this. That you realize you were broken and sinful and you couldn't do it yourself and that Jesus lived the perfect life you can't live and died the death on the cross you should die as the payment for your sin and he was raised again from the dead to give you his life and you need to call on Jesus. Jesus, save me. Forgive me my sin. Empower me to live like I should live. Some of you feel like that's old news, not good news. And God's stirring you to just call on Jesus again. You see the areas of sin still in your life and you need to call Jesus. Will you please save me from this? Will you give me your power? I believe you will. Father, I pray for every man, woman, child in this room that we would not leave this place without feeling the weight of holiness and righteousness. You call us to live in total obedience to Jesus as Lord. Father, I praise you that you've provided for our obedience with the life of Jesus. And I pray we would be dependent on him. May everyone in this room call, not leave this room without calling on Jesus for his rescuing power to save them from the penalty of their sin, to save them from the power of temptation and sin. 
and to look forward to the hope of being saved eternally from the very presence of it. Lord, we love you. We need you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.